fellowship one with another. Be sure to welcome our visitors.
going to do one more verse of it because you folks up in the balcony hadn't caught on to it yet. Amen. Now, it's all right to clap up there in the balcony, too. All right, let's do one more verse. I want you to get your hands into it. We, we talked about it last Sunday night. Church is a celebration. They sung about it a while ago. We've been lifted out. You remember how you used to be? Remember before the Lord saved you? You remember the burden of sin that you carried, the guilt that you lived under? But aren't you glad that one day he lifted you out? That's what we celebrate today. We've been saved. Christ is our Savior. Our sins have been forgiven. And then one of these days we're going to say goodbye to this old world. Let's do it one more time. Balcony, help us out this time. said. You may be seated. Appreciate Kim filling in today for Rick. Rick's on vacation. I appreciate Kim always doing a good job for us. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering today. And again, it's a joy to have those that are visiting with us. Good to have Karen Leger back in the service today and other visitors that have met. These folks from Dothan, Alabama. Good to have them and many, many others. We appreciate all of you being in the service. And if you'd take just a few moments if you're visiting, Fill out the guest card that is in the little packet we gave you. Drop an offering plate. And we'd like to send you some information about the church. And so you can get to know us a little bit better. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of. It's Friday night, 7 o'clock, we have our faith banquet. Now let me explain to you. Take just a second to explain to you what the faith banquet is about. This is for anyone that would like to come. Maybe someone has asked you to serve on their faith team this coming semester. Uh, this is for you. This is for all the faith leaders and faith learners from the last semester. And for you that have been asked to be a part of faith and you're going to be a part of faith or maybe you're thinking about being a part of faith or maybe you just want to learn a little bit more about faith. Someone said something to you but you're uncertain, you're unsure about it. This is what the banquet is about. We'll be recognizing the learners that have just completed a semester and we'll be honoring them in the banquet as well as the leaders and uh, then also just introducing to you what faith is all about. So it's 7 o'clock Friday night. Anybody that wants to come, and there is no cost for that. So mark your calendar. Plan on coming. You'll enjoy that time. And then, of course, Justified is pre-selling their tapes. If you haven't ordered them, you can do so. They'll be out in the lobby today after the service. You can go by there and pick those up. And then in the evening service, we're sharing with you our vision. Sharing the vision is the theme in the evening services. And tonight I'll be sharing with you another thing that I believe is essential to a vision coming true. I've shared with you a couple of things. One is prayer. One is our worship. Tonight we're going to be talking about reaching others. And then next Sunday night, you've been wanting to know what we're talking about, sharing the vision. Next Sunday night, 
we're going to put before you several things about where we feel that God is leading us, what we feel that God is wanting us to do. That's next Sunday night. So I'm going to be putting those things before you. And so we're excited about all of those things. I am excited about what the Lord is doing. And I praise Him for His blessings. Let's pray. Father, bless the offering. Thank you so much for your goodness. Continue to help us, Lord, to have our hearts open to all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.
He knew you, and yet he loved us. He knew that we would fall. He knew that we would sin and cause him shame. He knew us before we were saved, when we were lost in our rags, and yet he loved us. In Psalms 103, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and you can't go too far east or too far west, they never meet. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You know, we are so fragile, and yet his love is so eternal and so precious. He knew me, and yet he loved me.
the uh-huh. 
loving the Lord this morning. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel this morning. It's my salvation. Jordan leadeth me. 
Let's all stand while these people are praying. Sing it with me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Sing it. Sing it from your heart. Oh, these folks are praying. There might be others who want to come and pray. Sing it. Damon testified a while ago, give us a reason why he loved the Lord. Maybe somebody else want to give a reason this morning why you love the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. Yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. Amen. Sing it again. Oh, how I love Jesus. Lead us, Kim. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you love him this morning? He's done so much for us. Sing it. How I love Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful Savior is. I love Jesus. Sing it again. Amen. Because he first. Let's sing it, church. Let's sing it. Tell him that we love him. Sing it. Oh. Amen. Sing it to the Lord. Tell him you love him. Sing it. Oh. people said. Amen. Open your Bibles quickly to Luke chapter 9, the book of Luke chapter 9. 
I've noticed all through this service a theme that's kind of connected. Because I never share with Rick or Kim, say, this is what I'm preaching on. No, this is what I want you to sing about or specials or anything like that. Never do that. It's amazing how the Lord, when he wants to say something, how he just ties everything together and connects everything together. And I want you to look at Luke 9, beginning in verse 57. I want to read down through verse 62. And I want to just share with you a few things this morning, very briefly, about doing first what should be done first. Doing first about what should be done first. Look at verse 57. The Bible said it came to pass that... As they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of God and another said also said Lord I will follow thee but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house and Jesus said unto him no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God thank you, you may be seated Again, I want to just share with you a few thoughts this morning about doing first what should be done first. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, already through this service you have moved in hearts. Already, Lord, you have dealt with individuals, and I thank you for it. Father, already you've said many things to us, and I believe there's other things that you want to say to us. And so, Father, I submit myself to you this morning and yield myself to you that I might be an instrument in your hand for the communication of what you want to say in the end of this service. So, Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep me faithful to your word, and I'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake we ask these things. Amen. G. Campbell Morgan, in one of his books, tells the story. It tells about hearing Margaret Bottomay. This is back in the latter part of the 1800s. And uh, Margaret Bottomay, she started a ministry in those days called the King's Daughters in America. But she was sharing her testimony at the great Northfield Conference in Northfield, Massachusetts, D.L. Moody's great meeting. And Morgan tells about how he was moved by a story that she told. In fact, my own heart was touched by the story when I read Morgan's rendering of the story. But it's a story that came from Miss Bottomay's experience while she was traveling in the Far East. She was with the group, and her group needed a guide. So a guide was hired for them. The first thing the guide did was say to them, he said to them, will you be good enough to give everything to me? I'll take charge of everything. So the group began to give him their baggage and different things, but several of the ladies hung on to their handbags. And the guide said to them, you must give everything to me. Well, some of the ladies protested, but they finally gave their bags to them, and he told them that they would be safer with him, and they would be safer without them. A little bit later, they were at a train station waiting for a train, and a train pulled in, and the group simply got on the train, boarded the train, and, and got them a seat. 
And a few minutes, the guy walked on the train, and he said to the group, said, would you be good enough to get off the train, please? So all the group got off the train, and they began to question, why did you make us get off the train? And the guide said to them, that was the wrong train. Will you be good enough to follow me? Don't go before me. Well, a few more days into their journey, they began to wonder about their provisions and their accommodations at their destination. They had met somebody on their travels that had just come from where they were going, and he had told them there was not a room, there was no accommodations to be found whatsoever in the place they were going. So they began to wonder, will we have a place to stay? And they began to question the guide. He said nothing. He was strangely quiet. When they arrived at their destination, they found everything in order, and they found their rooms prepared. And the guide said to them, perhaps you will trust me to prepare for you ahead. And then he said this to the group. He said, I am your guide. And as your guide, I require three things. One, give everything to me. Two, follow me, but do not go before me. And three, trust me about the hidden things of the future. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. Apart from my salvation, and as far as I'm concerned, the day of my salvation was the greatest day of my life. But apart from my salvation, the greatest day of my life was when I realized that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to be the guide of my life. And Jesus said to me three things. One, I want you to give everything to me. Two, I want you to follow me. And three, I want you to trust me with the future. And when you look in Luke 9, verses 57 through 62, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. In the story here of three examples, Jesus is saying, give me everything. Second of all, he's saying, follow me, but don't go before me. And the third thing Jesus is saying is to put everything into my hands and trust me with the future. I want you to look at the three examples that Jesus gave. And you find in this story, these three stories, this one lesson that I want to drive home today. And that is to do first what we ought to do first. Look at the three examples. Now, I give them to you briefly. The first thing that I want you to notice is that in this example, a desire to follow Jesus. The Bible said it came to pass. As they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, here's the story. Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and this man suddenly says to Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you whithersoever thou goest. Now, Jesus had often issued the call, follow me. And no doubt this man somewhere had heard Jesus say to someone, follow me. And now this man suddenly comes forward in a remarkable and an inspiring fashion. He says to Jesus, I will follow thee. You find in the first man here a desire to follow Jesus. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions, then I'm going to give you two things that shows you what it means to follow Jesus. But let me just ask you a couple of questions, and don't respond in any way. But I want to ask you, first of all, do you desire to follow Jesus? Is there a desire in your heart to follow the Lord? Is there a desire in your heart to follow Jesus Christ? Do you really want to follow him? And has there been a time in your life where you, like this man, in Luke 9, you said to the Lord, I will follow you? That's question number one. Do you desire to follow Jesus? But here's the second question. If you say yes to that in any way, let me ask you this. Do you really know what you mean? And do you really mean, Lord, I will follow you? To say to Jesus, I will follow you, do you really, really mean it? And I ask that question because of what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus? Look at the story. 
For one thing, to follow Jesus means to follow him wherever. Notice what the man said in verse uh, uh, 57. He said to him, he said, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. In other words, that man said, I will go wherever you want me to go. It's kind of like what Naomi said to Ruth. The man was saying to him, he said, I will go where you go, and I will lodge where you lodge, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. He is saying to the Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. Now listen to me carefully. I believe this this morning, that a believer cannot truly say, I'll follow Jesus if he's not willing to go wherever the Lord would want him to go. I believe this, that a desire to follow Jesus and a desire to really follow Jesus is, a, is saying in yourself that I'll go where you want me to go. But there's something else in there. Not only does it mean to follow Jesus wherever, but it also means to follow Jesus whatever. Notice what Jesus said in verse 58. Jesus, this man said to him, I want to follow you. And Jesus responded by saying... Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, at first glance, it's almost like Jesus was pouring water on this enthusiastic follower. He comes up to him and says, Lord, I will follow you. I want to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you wherever you go. I will follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have their own dens, and the birds have their own nests. They have their home. But I don't even have a home on this earth that I can call my own. I don't even have a place to lay my head down for tonight. It's almost like Jesus was trying to discourage you. But it was not so much that Jesus was trying to discourage the man, but as to remind the man of the cost and the sacrifices that are sometimes involved in following Jesus. Now listen to me this morning. There is not always a sacrifice to follow the Lord, and there is not always a cost to follow God. And for you, if you gave your life to the Lord, it wouldn't mean that you're going to have to make a great sacrifice in your life or there'd be some cost involved in you obeying God. But I promise you this, there is the possibility of sacrifice in following Jesus. And there is the possibility of a cost involved. But following Jesus and to really mean it, to really mean it from the bottom of your heart is to say, Lord, I will follow you wherever and I will follow you whatever. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And whatever cost is involved and whatever sacrifice is involved, Lord, I will do it. That's what you mean when you say, I'll follow Jesus. Now, if you're saying anything less than that, then you really don't mean that you'll follow Jesus. But to really mean it says, I'll follow him wherever and I'll follow him whatever. I thought about it again this week. I've shared this before, but I thought about when I first surrendered to preach back in 1974, 1972 rather. And I remember when I first surrendered and gave my life to the Lord. I knew God had called me to preach, but I was not certain about how God wanted to use my life. I didn't know if he wanted me to be a pastor. I didn't know if he wanted me to be a missionary. I didn't know if he wanted me to be an evangelist or whatever, but I knew he'd call me to preach. So I was praying about the matter and began to uh, pray about the matter. In my heart, I wanted to be a pastor. From the time God called me, my heart's desire was to be a pastor. And I, that was my hope, that God would let me be a pastor someday. But I was saved in a strong mission-minded church and missionaries were often guests in our services and, and we were constantly hearing about the needs of other countries and, and the need of world evangelization. And there began to grow in my heart a fear. And I'm, I'm honest, I say a fear 
I began to grow in my heart a fear that God was wanting me to be a missionary. And I say a fear because I wanted to be a pastor, but yet I was beginning to feel maybe God wanted me to be a missionary. So for the first two years of my life, I struggled about that matter. Whether I, to, I wanted to be a pastor, but yet I began to wonder if God was not calling me to be a missionary. But I remember in my first semester in Bible college, and I remember in a mission conference, one night God really broke my heart. And I went down the altar and got on my knees. And that night, for the first time, I said, Lord, I will be a missionary. That's what you want me to be. Lord, I'll go to the mission field. Now, I didn't have to worry about it, pray about it four or five days later. When I got up off my knees that night, I knew what God wanted to do in my life. I got off my knees. I went down there and said, I'll be a missionary. I got up off my knees knowing that God's plan for my life was to be a pastor. Well, I was more confused than ever. Here was the time I wanted to be a pastor, but felt like I should be a missionary. Now I'm willing to be a missionary, and now I know I'm supposed to be a pastor. I remember going home, went down a little telephone booth right below our little apartment, called my preacher, began to talk to him. And I'll never forget what he told me that night. I told him what I'd been feeling and what was going on in my heart. I said, now I surrender to be a missionary. God, and I know God wants me to be a pastor. I'll never forget what he said, and this is what he said to me. He said, all God wanted you to do was to get to the place that you'd be willing to do anything God wanted you to do. See, the desire to be a pastor had been put there by God. But God had to get me to the place that if he wanted me to be a missionary, I'd be a missionary. If he wanted me to be an evangelist, that's what I would be. It is just being willing to follow him wherever and whatever. Can I get an amen right there? Look at the second thing in the story. You not only see the desire to follow Jesus in example one, but you also see the delay to follow Jesus in example two. Look in verse 59. And the second example, we're given these words. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, the first man put no restrictions on following Jesus. He just come up and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, not only do I want you to follow me wherever I go, but I want you to follow me whatever it will cost. And so the first man puts no restrictions on it. But the second man is different. There's something he wanted to do first before he followed Jesus. Notice this man. For one thing, you see the personal call Jesus gave. Jesus called this man. The first man come up and volunteered and said, I want to follow you. But Jesus said to the second man, follow me. This man received a personal call from Jesus to follow him. Now listen to me. I believe this this morning. I believe that every believer in this room, you have received a personal call from Jesus to follow him. You believe that? Are you saved? Lift your hand up high. Don't be embarrassed about being saved. All right, that if you're saved, then you have received a personal call from Jesus. But you say, I haven't heard the call. Right here is the call. The Bible gives you the call. Through the Word of God, Jesus is saying, follow me. He says to every believer, follow me. Jesus doesn't just speak to the preacher. He doesn't just speak to the missionary. He doesn't just speak to the deacon or the Sunday school teacher. He speaks to every believer and he says, follow me. There's a personal call, but look at it. There's not only the personal call Jesus gave, but there's the prompt commitment Jesus seeks. Look at verse 60. He said to the second man, the first man, he says, Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, here's how Jesus responded in verse 60. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus said to the man, follow me. 
And the man said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but go and preach the gospel. Now, in the first example, it's like Jesus poured cold water on the enthusiastic follower. But in the second example, it's like Jesus was cold-hearted himself. He says to a man, follow me. And the man says to him, well, let me first go home and bury my father. And it's almost like Jesus said, don't you worry about burying your father. Let the dead bury the dead. You preach. And you might say, to, might say, well, how cold could anybody be? How insensitive did anybody be? No doubt the young man is hurting because his father is dead. And Jesus said, you don't worry about burying him. Let somebody else worry about burying him. You don't even go back to his funeral. You follow me. Go preach the gospel. You say, how cold could someone be? How indifferent, unsympathetic, insensitive that, any, in, that the individual could be. But that's not what Jesus was doing. When you understand the custom of that day and in that area, you realize that the young man was not saying, my father is dead and I've got to go home and bury him. But what the young man was doing was actually giving an excuse for not following Jesus at the moment. You see, what the man was, he was not saying, my father is dead, but what he's actually saying is, I'm going to go back and when my father dies, then I'll follow you. For example, you take that phrase, suffer, suffer me first to bury the dead. Every Palestinian knew that that was an excuse. In fact, I think about a book I was looking at this week, Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind. The writer tells about how even today, if you ask a Palestinian to do something and they don't want to do it, they will say, they will not say, well, I can't or I don't feel well or I don't have time. They'll say, no, I cannot. My father is dead. And they're not meaning that their father is dead and they got to have a funeral and whatever. It's just a way, it's the way they respond and say, look, I don't want to do it. And when the Jesus said to the man, said, follow me, and he said, suffer me first to go home and bury my father, it's not saying my dad's dead. He said, I don't want to do it right now. I'll do it later. Now, would you not agree with me this morning that many believers fall into this category? Jesus says, follow me. And many will say, but yeah, I will, but first, there's what I want to do in my life. The teenager might say, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me get through high school. Because if I really sell out to God and begin to live for Christ, then all of my friends at school are going to think me odd, and they're going to think me strange. First, Lord, let me get through high school, and then I'll live for you. Or the college student says, I'll, first let me get through college. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go get through college and so I can get me a good job and, and get a good start in life. And then once I get all that done, then I'll follow you. Or the young couple says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first uh, let, let, let us get us a home and, and let us get our family started. And then when the children come along, then we'll get in church and, and we'll get our children in church. And then we'll follow you, but first let us do these things. I've heard people, you approach them about serving in the church or helping this area, and they say, I, I, want, to get, I want to get involved in whatever there, but, but not right now. I've, I've got so many things to, going on. I've got so many things I'm doing in my life. I'll, maybe later I'll get involved. Right now, this is what I'm doing right now, and I can't do it right now. Same thing true about being saved. You say, tell people they need to be saved. And they say, well, and I've heard this before. Preacher, I know I need to get saved, but first I need to get some things straightened out in my life. And when I get these things straightened out, then I'll get saved. I want you to listen to me. The reason you got things out of whack to start with is because of the devil. And he's going to make sure you never get them straightened out. So if that's your excuse, you'll die in your sins and go to hell. But first I got to get some things straightened out. Preacher, I know I need to get saved, but not now. A little bit later. 
And Jesus said to this man, follow me. And he says, Lord, I'll follow you, but not right now. A little bit later, I'll follow you. You know what Jesus is saying in the second example? He's saying, follow me, and I want you to follow me now. Jesus saying to the teenager, I want you to follow me now. Jesus saying to the college student, I want you to follow me now. Not after you get out of college, I want you to follow me while you're in college. He says to the high school student, I want you to follow me not after you get out of high school, but while you're in high school. And Jesus said to the young couple, I want you to follow me now. Not wait till you get a new home. Not wait till your children are born. I want you to follow me now. That's what Jesus is saying. There's that putting the matter off. Lord, I'm going to follow you. There may be some sitting here today. Say, I'm going to serve God, but there's, I've got to see things going on. And I'm, going, I'm, I'm going to get involved. I'm, I plan on getting involved. I plan on serving the Lord. Not plan. Jesus said, do first what you ought to do first. Not what you want to do first, but what he wants you to do first. And Jesus says what? Follow me and follow me now. Are you with me? Yeah. Look at the third thing, the third example. Not only do you have the desire to follow Jesus, an example one, he said, I will follow thee wherever and whatever. And not only do you have a delay to follow Jesus, a man said, I'll follow you, but a little bit later. Let me go home. I'll go home, and after my father dies, then I'll follow you. But Jesus said, no, I want you to follow me now. But in the third example, you see the devotion to follow Jesus, the devotion that is needed to follow Jesus. Look at the third man in verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. In the example of the third man, we have one, that's, again, that's been asked to follow the Lord Jesus. And his response is, I'll follow you, but first, there's some things that I want to do. I'll follow you, Lord. You've asked me to follow you, and I will follow you, but first, there's some things I need to do. And he says specifically, I need to go home and tell my family goodbye. What is he talking about? Look at two things about this man. For one thing, you see in this man a divided heart. Now, there was nothing wrong with this man going back and telling his family goodbye. That's not what is meant in that statement. There wouldn't be anything wrong with the man going back and say to his family, I have given my life to the Lord. I'm going to follow him. And I just come home to let you know, let you know that I'm going to follow the Lord and just want to come home and say goodbye. But no, that's not what he said. And Jesus knew that was what he was not saying. And he sensed something more in his request. He sensed in the man a divided heart. You see, there was a part in this man that when Jesus said, follow me, there was a part in him that said, I want to follow him. But yet back here is his family, his life, his home, his way of living, all the things that his life's been built around. There's a part of him that says, yes, I want to follow you, but there's a part of him that still wants to hang on to those things that's been a part of his life. See, when he said, I want to go home and say goodbye to my family or bid them farewell, he didn't mean I want to go back, pack my bags, and kiss them goodbye as I go out the door, and I'll meet you down around the end of the street. That's not what he's saying. He said, I want to go back. I'm going to spend some time with my family. He's not only putting it off like the second man, but what this man is revealing is, yes, Lord, there's a part of me that wants to follow you, but there's a part of me that doesn't want to get up this, give up this part of my life. Jesus talked about loving father and mother more than me. And this man still wants to hang on to things of his old life. He's a divided man. His heart is divided. There's a part in him that wants to do good. There's a part of him that wants to hang on to what he wants to do. It's like James or what James called a double-minded man. James 4, 8 talks about purifying your hearts. You're double-minded. 
And the word double-minded literally means two-souled. It speaks of that which vacillates between matters. It's descriptive of a person who wants the best of both worlds. He wants to please God, but he wants to please self at the same time. And he's torn between the two. It'd be like some individual that says, Lord, I want to follow you. Jesus says, follow me. He says, all right, I'm going to follow you. And Lord, I'm going to follow you. And what you mean with that is, I'm going to get a little bit involved. I'm going to get in work here. I'm going to do a little bit here and do a little bit there and whatever that. But on the other hand, you still got these things over here in your life that you really don't want to let go. These have been the affections of your life. These have been the priorities of your life. And you got these things over here, and you, you want to do a little bit for God and serve God a little bit, but at the same time, you want to hang on these things. Now, what Jesus was saying to that man was, look, I don't want a divided heart. I want a devoted heart. He was saying to the man, look, it's nothing wrong. Go home, tell mama bye. But you're not talking about saying bye to mama. You don't want to give up your old life. You want to put me over here on this side and hang on these things in your life on that side and you don't want to give them up. Jesus says, no, I want 100%. I don't want 90% of your life. I don't want 75% of your life. I want it all. I want everything given to me. I think about the hymn, I Surrender All. We've sung it here so many times. A great hymn, no doubt one of the greatest hymns that ever been written. It was written by a fellow by the name of Judson W. Van de Venner. Van de Venner was, for years, studied art. He wanted to be an artist. He wanted to be a great artist. In his own words, he said, My whole life was wrapped up in his pursuit, and the furthest thing from my mind was active Christian service. My dream was to become an outstanding and a famous artist. He went off to school to study to be an artist. He studied under one of the great German teachers of that day to learn art and painting and to be a great artist. He's a Christian. And one of his, in a revival meeting in a church that he attended, God began to work in his heart. And he began to take the things of God a little more seriously. He began to get involved in his church. Even though he was pursuing his dream of becoming a great artist, he began to take God a little more seriously and began to get involved. And even at one point in his life, he was licensed as a lay preacher, but still had this burning passion to be a great artist. God began to deal with him about going into full-time Christian service, and he began to struggle. He wrestled with the matter. For years, he struggled with the matter. Whether or not going full-time and giving up that which had been the dream and the pursuit of his life, or pursuing his dream and doing what he had wanted to do. That was what he wanted to do over here was God, but first, he wanted to go home and tell the family goodbye, if I can put it that way. He didn't want to give up this, and he wanted this, but he didn't want to let this go in his life. So there was this war going on in his life. But finally, Van de Venner came to a point that he surrendered all to God. And when he wrote, I surrender all, he wrote it as a testimony of the years that he struggled and fought doing what God wanted him to do and the years of being torn between doing what he wanted and what God wanted in his life. When you sing, I surrender all, you remember there was a man who, for, who God said, follow me. And he wanted to follow God, but he didn't want to let go of this. I'm talking to you today about giving Jesus Christ 100% in your life. Look at verse 62. Jesus not talked about a divided heart, but you'll notice second of all and last of all, he talked about a distracted heart. Jesus answered the third man, verse 62, and said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Pictures of a man plowing a field, that's obvious. But instead of keeping his eye on the furrow that he is plowing, he looks back at something that attracts his attention. 
Something attracts his attention but distracts him from the work. And, he, and, and the result is he does a poor job of plowing. As Godet might say, he is only half at work and half work will only be the result. Now here's what Jesus is talking about. If the plowman keeps his eyes on the work, or if he doesn't keep his eyes on the work, he'll plow a crooked row, thereby making him an inappropriate plowman. In fact, the word Jesus said he's not fit for the kingdom of God. The word fit simply talks about being appropriate. That if, if a man doesn't keep his eyes on Jesus, he will not be an appropriate worker. He will not be an appropriate servant of God. And if a plowman here, he's going down plowing a furrow in the ground, he's looking back this way, he's going to be plowing a crooked furrow and thereby will not be an appropriate plowman. Jesus said, a divided heart always leads to a distracted heart because there'll be moments in your life this part of you that wants to follow Jesus will kind of begin to have dominance in your life and you begin to get involved a little bit more. But if you still hang on to these things over here sooner or later, they will distract you and pull you right back into them and pull you away from giving Jesus everything. Jesus said you can't look back. You got to put your hand to the plow. Give me 100%. Because if you look back, you'll become an inappropriate worker for God. In other words, this is what Jesus said. There was two of them said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, this is what I want to do. And the other said, Lord, I'll, I'll do it, but first, this is what I want to do. In essence, Jesus said, wait a minute. You do first what you should do first. Do first what should be done first in your life. What should be done first in your life as a believer? What should be done in first in my life as a believer? What is the first thing that a child of God ought to do? I'll tell you what it is. It's to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the first thing you ought to do. Everything else. Not what you want to do first. Not what I want to do first. But what does he want me to do first? That's the key to the whole matter. Do first what should be done first. And stand on your feet. Thank you for listening.